I had made it to a very miserable tight spot in the back. And it was a small little narrow spot and it was full of columns, little stalactites, formation touching from top to bottom. It was almost like a jail cell. But over towards the wall was a cantaloupe-sized hole, a small hole. And I looked in it, my hair blew back from all the wind coming in. Is your health thriving or is it merely surviving? Welcome to Thriving with Chiropractic, where we unpack conditions and lifestyle challenges in order for you to be the best version of health you can possibly be. I'm your host, Dr. Mosier, and my beautiful co-host is my wife, Ellen. Join us on this journey to thrive. Hey folks, Dr. Mosier here, and I have with me Seth the Cave Worm. It's so good to have you on the show, sir. Thank you, doctor. So, first off, what got you into caving? Well, I actually moved to the backyard of Mammoth Cave National Park. Uh, I moved to Horse Cave about uh, eight years ago. Of course, I was surrounded by caves and kind of intrigued me. So went around and asked around and figured somebody could take me cave. And there's so many around, somebody has to have some access. Yeah. Well, I actually had a kid take me into a cave that was very graffitied, very vandalized. And it kind of discouraged me for a little while because I realized um, how fragile that, that environment is. But it also kind of encouraged me as well, because then I realized well, there's got to be some caves out there that wasn't so vandalized, something that was worth preserving. The cave I went to was very beautiful, but it was very public and trashed. And so I actually got to meet uh, a surveyor who did a lot of surveying into Mammoth Cave. He was a co-worker of mine, mm -hmm. and I begged him to take me caving. And he's like, you know, it's not for the weak of heart. And he, mm -hmm. He's like, I'm good. I'm, I'm ready to go. And he took me in, actually. And, uh, and that's why I, how it all got started. I didn't realize I was going to fall in love. Nice. Now, you, you said something interesting. Fragile. Dive more into that. What did you mean by it being fragile? Well, it's not ever... A cave is created over many thousands of years. It's not something that you're going to see new ones pop up sometime soon. You know, if there is any caves or cavities in the ground, it's already been made. and not something that we're going to make something new. Uh, the, the environment is pretty fragile as well. There's a lot of different... Uh, wildlife in there that live only in caves. Some of them might actually grow and to exit the cave. Some might excavate for a period of time and come back in. But a lot of them only live in caves. There's a lot of blind animals that specifically are only in caves. Now, when you're caving, which is technically called splunking, that's right, um, is there some dangerous animals in there? I wouldn't know. There's not any dangerous animals. Uh, snakes might uh, burrow close to the entrance, you know, just kind of cool it off in the, in the summertime. Uh, maybe a random raccoon, but they don't want anything to do with you. I wouldn't say anything. only animal that's dangerous in there are the humans. That's an interesting concept. Absolutely. Um, so thousands of years it takes to make. Um, is it possible to, I guess, man-made? Well, sure. I mean, you've got mines and things like that and heavy equipment to actually make some, but... It's a difference between you know something man-made and an actual naturally open cave. Uh, as many years as I've been caving, I would be nervous going into a mine. The reason being is the cave's been open for thousands of years. If anything was going to fall or be weak or fragile, it's already been hit through some of the you know tectonic changes and some earthquakes, things like that. A mine was man-made. You never know when you're actually going to run into like a pocket of gas or methane or things like that. Then you see you're you're a lot of problems coming out of mining. Really? So I I would just think the safety level is about the same on both man-made versus uh, a natural, so you're really learning me something good today. Um, I'm curious, what is your most interesting caving story? Same vandalized cave that I was referring to back in Kentucky. 
I had made it to a very miserable tight spot in the back. And it was a small little narrow spot, and it was full of columns, little stalactites, this formation touching from top to bottom. It's almost like a jail cell. But over towards the wall was a cantaloupe-sized hole, mm -hmm. small hole. And I looked in it, and my hair blew back from all the wind coming in from the other side. And there's a cave saying, if it blows, it goes. What that means is there's either another entrance on the other side, allowing the airflow to go through, or it's so large it had its own air circulation inside that specific pocket. So, left, grab a buddy with a hammer and a shovel, and we dug for, I want to say, about four hours, trying to make that cantaloupe size, cantaloupe size hole a little bit bigger, enough for us to squeeze through. Mm -hmm. And we ended up finding another half mile of cave that was not vandalized and never been discovered. There's no witness of any human ever being in that portion of the cave. That is amazing. Uh, you, you, we've we've talked quite a bit mm -hmm. before this, but you do surveying and, and you get to explore these areas that no no other human has ever been. And obviously, this is one of those. What does that do to you? What does it stir up a whole lot of excitement to see something new that no one's ever seen? What is that like? Oh yeah, that's definitely part of the hobby, what keeps me going back. That's why I was willing to squeeze through that tight, measurable spot and again, keep squeezing through. Mm -hmm. Eventually it got bigger. And then once I survey it all out, which is not the most fun process, but when it's all said and done and I see that map out on the paper, that is the rewarding part. I can say, hey, I have been there and only two other men in the world that I know of have ever been in this specific section. Which is amazing. So what goes into surveying? So we've got instruments. We've got a compass and a clinometer, and then, of course, it requires a little bit of drawing as well. Mm -hmm. Compass tells us where we are, according to the azimuth, you know, whether it's going to be 0, 360, true north or south, east and west. Okay. And then a, 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 a clinometer. It's going to tell me the inclination or declination through my survey. I have to do from a visual point to a visual point. So I'll actually, if it's from the tip of my hat to your coffee cup, I'll take my compass, try to line my compass over this visual point, which is a survey station, mm -hmm. and read the numbers through my compass, tell me from zero to 360, what angle from this uh, point to your cup would be. And I do the same thing with my clinometer. For instance, I could tell that this is taller than your cup, so I'd have a declination on it, which would be a negative number. And that plays effect in the length between here as well, because that's another uh, measurement that we do. So now I'm going to tell you which direction is going, tell you the declination or inclination, and then is this three feet? And the inclination declination would actually play effect in how much footage is in between. So that's mm. kind of what uh, allows me to know that we did a half-mile survey. Wow. Even though we went from sometimes the floor and sometimes the ceiling. Which it sounds to me like there's a, a lot of... Um, math involved. There's a little bit, yeah. <laughs> maybe a, a chart for maybe, the feet. Mm -hmm. Maybe a lot of it. So, uh, as a profession, you do engineering. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Quite a bit. So that kind of helps you. Absolutely. In, in what you do, uh, this passion, which you are so passionate about this, that you have your own YouTube show. I do. You can find me as uh, Seth K. Worm on Instagram, YouTube, or TikTok. Nice. You even got the TikTok. You got to get the trend. Of course, of course. Well, um, hmm. I, there's something else that you told me one time, and I thought this was really interesting. Um, there's a cave that you really want to explore, but you have to wait until it's really dry. That's right. Because if it gets wet, then it's just flooded with water. Mm -hmm. Would you ever, 
go into a cave and you know have a scuba suit on and all that and, and and go underwater into a cave would you ever do that no, no. why so some people might think that caving is pretty risky that I'm you know maybe I'm putting my life in danger but I have calculated risk and I don't take major risk if I was going to scuba dive uh, there's a lot of opportunities for problems and if you read some of the cave diving stories there's not many solutions when you get problems in the ground in a tight passage mm. and uh, you make a mistake and there's not much forgiveness makes sense so you're just gonna stick with the, the dry caves I'll just stick with the dry caves maybe swim on swim a little bit but not underwater nice well another story that you told me uh, in the office was how you, you were able to repel like I think what it was it 140 feet that mm -hmm. one one day which you have your your massive rope which this is surprisingly heavy <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was not I was like oh wow this is pretty intense and and the rope is really thick um, so you repelled and, and we were really excited as a chiropractic office because you didn't have any back pain when you did this which I thought was really exciting so how has chiropractic helped you continue your passion well if you watch some of my videos you'll see that sometimes I have to contort myself sometimes I have to bend over and stay stooped over for a while mm -hmm. sometimes I'm crawling literally on my side yeah. sometimes I'm rappelling down 140 feet fit, uh, feet pit which also means I have to climb back up 140 feet on the same rope and as you can mm -hmm. imagine with how I'm climbing up rope I'm doing these numbers yeah I'm constantly working my back building my core and working those muscles. So with that bending, especially in my lower back, I can tell a huge difference when I climbed up to 140 feet from the last time I did it. Mm -hmm. Sitting in a seat harness alone is not very comfortable. Yeah. But then having to do all that motions through everything, uh, I can tell from the last time I had to ascend, it's kind of painful sitting there in that seat harness because you got to take breaks and then you're just sitting there in a seat harness is kind of dangling, you know. Yes, yeah. And that, that put a little strain on my back. Yeah. Well, this time climbing up, I felt like I was pretty comfortable. I took several breaks. Of course, 140 feet, I was going to take breaks. <laughs> that's a lot. That's, yeah. a, that's um, what, half a football field? It's 14 stories. Yes. Mm -hmm. yes. And I noticed um, your sleeves. Yes. Tell, tell me about those. You're, you're in your uh, splunking gear. So, I am. so what? Tell me about uh, that type of pants and, and all, all the stuff. Yeah, so I'll start from, the top, uh, from bottom to top. Usually I wear uh, slip resistant, waterproof shoes. Okay. Uh, the floor can be quite muddy in certain caves, mm -hmm. and I don't want to be sliding around. That gives me all the confidence I need whenever I'm traveling in a cave. Okay. If I'm sliding around, I'm not going to be so confident, mm -hmm. which means I'm going to be working up my upper body more. For instance, if I'm working in a canyon and I'm slipping, I'm probably going to put my elbows on the walls if I can. This is going to keep my skin from wearing down on that hard rock as I crawl through. Of course, sometimes i got to do a belly crawl, in which case it's just like that, an army crawl. You're going through, putting your, all your pressure on your knees and your elbows and pivoting your hips. And then, of course, i got a helmet. You can tell uh, a little bit. It's, it's a little bit scored up, and it's only a year old. You know, when you're going through, like I mentioned, sometimes I'm bending down, and then for a minute I might be able to stand up, and then i got to bend back down. And then having that uh, evaluation distance between my helmet and the ceiling can be a little uh, tricky. Yeah. So it's good that I have my helmet to hit instead of my head. Yes, well, that definitely makes sense because we don't need you to have a concussion absolutely that's a that's a whole myriad of issues yeah and of course you got knee pads of course and well, the most important part gloves i'm not wearing my gloves today hmm. i don't want to leave my oils behind on the rocks so water actually brings in calcite which is part of the uh, minerals that is in limestone 
and as it reaches the ceiling, it's grabbing some of that calcite and dripping off. As it drips, some of that calcite gets left behind where it drips, which is actually what creates stalactites, which is those pin-like things coming from the ceiling. That's all caused by calcite. Now, if I were to grab a piece of calcite and touch it, the oils in my hands would keep that calcite from attaching itself, and it would continue on with the water hitting the ground. So that, that stalactite would no longer grow. That I did not know. I always wondered why it, it pulled down mm -hmm. like that. Exactly. It looks like a, like a soda straw. Some people call them soda straws, especially when they're fresh. Nice. Well, Seth, you have taught me so much today, and I appreciate that so much. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. And folks, thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time on Thriving with Chiropractic. See you underground. Thank you for joining. We truly hope Thriving with Chiropractic is making a positive impact on your health and wellness. Please comment and share this episode. We would love to hear from you. And as always, remember, your story matters.